Welcome everyone to JCV Art Studio. My name's Joanna, and if you're tuning in for the first time, I'm the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, and I have lived 25 years in Victoria, which is on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, and I say that because a person I used to work with 14 years ago reached out to me. She heard my last podcast, Small World. So I'm just letting people know where I'm from and maybe I can hook up with more people. No, I shouldn't say hook up. Connect <laughs> with more people, okay? Network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today, I have Lisa Kessler joining me from Florida. And it's 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 this is going to be great because, first of all, she's a best-selling author of Passionate page-turning fiction. She has written 40 books in over 10 years, which still blows my mind. Okay. Um, she has twice won the San Diego Book Award for Best Published Fantasy, Sci-Fi Horror, and Best Published Romance. Her books have also won the Prism Award, and her vampire story, Immortal Beloved, was a finalist in the Bram Stoker Award. Lisa has multiple series, uh, a blog. She is the host of the podcast Book Lights, which I had the pleasure of being on. And if you missed her first interview, I interviewed Lisa about her novel, novel Sedona Salvation. And that podcast was published on March 26th of this year. So Lisa has just published a thriller novel under the name L.A. Kessler. She is so fun to talk to, and it's just thinking of the book I've been reading. It's, it's um, you know, she, Lisa, you were so pleasant. And then I look at what I'm reading, and I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> Fiction. Yes, yes. So welcome back, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Good, good. It's good to, it's good to chat again. Um and I've asked you this question before, but I'm always thinking about, you know, maybe this is the first podcast a new listener has, has listened, is ch like tuning into. So in case they haven't heard our first interview, can you let us know how you got started in writing? Um, was it paranormal or a different genre altogether? Um, when I first started, I was um, actually... I was writing fan fiction. I, when I first started, I was a huge Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles fan. And anybody who was alive back then, um, they used to come out like a year and a half in between each book. And so this was the, you know, first inklings of the internet and there were user groups and there was an Anne Rice user group. And so there were a few of us on there, a handful of us who would write our own vampires in between. And so I would write every night, I would write these vampire stories and, um, and we would have our vampires meet. It was all on Yahoo groups and we would email. It was very fun, but I had no idea that I was practicing for novel writing. No idea. Um, I was, working in our family business it it never even occurred to me to try and publish it was just something fun that I did at night and then I went to New Orleans for a trade show for work and I went into one of the shops to get my palm read because I was in New Orleans you like mm -hmm. have to so anyway I go in there and she was great and everything she said was like right on target and as I'm leaving she stopped me at the door and said can I ask you something and I said sure and she said are you a writer and my knee-jerk reaction was, no, I sell window shades. And, and then I thought about it and I said, well, I write for fun every night. And she smiled and she said, you're going to be a famous writer someday. And I was like, what? Yes. It just wasn't on my radar, but I couldn't stop thinking about it because I was a voracious reader and I didn't think I could write anything long enough to be a novel but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so six months later, my first draft of Nightwalker was finished. And uh, 
so that was it took a long time before it finally got published and it went through a couple rewrites and things but um that did end up being my first published novel and i don't know that i ever would have tried it if it weren't for her but um during that period i wrote some short stories because i thought i should try and get published before i you know put all this work into a novel i should see if i'm even good at this so i wrote a bunch of short stories which got published in um, anthologies and magazines and there were e-zines back then um, too so I got on some of those um, website magazines and when Immortal Beloved became a finalist for a Bram Stoker award I thought okay well I must be okay at this <laughs> and then I started shopping Nightwalker around and and eventually I was writing full-time I just I really without without that nudge from the Palm Reader in New Orleans I don't know that I ever would have tried to get published it just wasn't even on my radar. It was just something fun I did. So years later, when I got to meet Ray Bradbury and he talked about how you have to write 600,000 words of crap before you are a good storyteller. And I, th I thought, oh my gosh, I was practicing all that time and I, I had no idea. Um, so I got it all out early. Um, so anyway, it's been an interesting ride. Um, I definitely feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Um, but I, I needed that nudge because it wasn't, wasn't on my radar. That's, that's a great story. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, um, you know, first time listeners may not have heard or previous, you know, so that's, I'm glad you told that story. Great. <laughs> great. And I keep thinking you are so pleasant and I'm just thinking of the book you've just written. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So, so again, I've got, like I said, just a couple more standard questions thinking about the first time listener. So you are both an indie and traditionally published author. Yes, yes. Um, I'm a hybrid author. So I do publish um, one series with a publisher. And then I've been publishing more and more indie on my own. Um, there are pluses and minuses to both. And I enjoy both. Um, but you do have a lot more control as an indie author, which I really enjoy. Um, so but for now, I do both. Okay, okay, okay. Now, perfect. It's something just, <laughs> it dawned on me this morning. Um, it's so all your like Sedona Salvation that's under Lisa Kessler. Right. And perfect. It's under L.A. Kessler. Right. So for, I'm just, this is a totally selfish question. I'm thinking for myself. We you know we, I had mentioned before we started recording that I'm thinking of a fantasy speculative fiction type novel. Do you recommend if you're going to write under two genres to have two names for your readers or like because um, Lisa and one's L.A. Kessler? I was just wondering. Right. And not necessarily if okay. if I was writing. um for instance, if I, I have most of my books are paranormal romances, if I decided to write a contemporary romance, I would still publish it under Lisa Kessler, um, just because it's so hard yeah. to build up a readership and it takes so much time. And when you throw a new name into it, it it's difficult to get that that um, traction, for instance, like BookBub or something where you would promote your books, they won't promote it two together. So I have a whole new name on BookBub for L.A. Kessler that I'm rapidly trying to get readers to go over and, and follow that also. Um, okay. So in that way, no. Okay. Um, the reason that I did it, though, I obviously it's still me. It's no yeah. secret. And L.A. Kessler is just my initials. And yeah. but the reason that I did it is because under L.A. Kessler, you're going to get a different kind of book. I mean, it's still me, but the romance, there is a romance subplot in that book, but it really is a subplot. It's not 
front and center, um, like my other books. And I don't want my, I have a lot of really devoted readers who read everything that comes out and I never want to disappoint them. And I don't want them to pick up an LA Kessler book and expect that it's going to be, you know, tons of kissing and forearms and things like that. Cause it's not, oh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> It's more killing, less kissing. Um, So I I just don't want to disappoint a reader ever, which was why I did it under L.A. Kessler. I'm not trying to keep it a secret or anything. I just don't want someone who is used to reading my romances to pick it up and go, what happened? Um, So that's the whole reason I did it. So like if I was writing, um, say, if I was already writing thrillers and then I decided to write a horror novel, I would still have them under the same name. Cause for me, it would be too hard to, to do that. It's just, there's a big genre difference between romance and a thriller. Yeah. And I just don't want to disappoint anybody. Okay. Okay. Good, good answer. So perfect. Your thriller. I'm reading it. And you know, sometimes I'll be, I'll say a bit analytical when I'm reading, you know, because I'm I'm also thinking about questions. But literally, it was because it just came out on May second, so right. I got this week. My, yeah, so I got mine on my little my little Kindle, and uh, I literally was hunched down in the group my favorite green chair, you know, my feet up on uh, like on a little <laughs> ottoman, and I was I was in it. And I wasn't thinking of questions, you know, I was just like, tap, 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 like just (laughs) in it. And, um, it's, it was really, I want to say enjoyable and it was a great feeling to just to be sucked in like that. So thank God. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Thank thank you. you. (laughs) It was. That's always what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So one more standard question. Can you give our listeners a summary of what Perfect is about? Okay. Well, Perfect is about, um, it's basically Juliet's story. And she has grown up in this house in the suburbs of Los Angeles. And she has never been allowed outside. Um, She wears socks and gloves all the time because Juliet has to be perfect. Um, So... She has had other sisters, all named Julie. Um, she's never been anywhere to know that that's strange. Um, so she has Julie one, Julie two, Julie three, and her her sister Julie eight is the only one that has managed to stay perfect. So Juliet is has seen what happens when you're not perfect and you basically end up dead. Yeah. So it's um, it's a really cool. Uh, well, I think it's cool. <laughs> um, There's a society called the Genesis Foundation, and they are a bunch of scientists who want to create perfect children who will never get leukemia, who will never have, you know, a dangerous birth defect that could hurt them. Um, Their goal is to, you know, they started with a with a nice goal of no parent should ever have to lose a child, but it has kind of been twisted up because are these children science projects or are they human beings? And so I have so much fun in this trilogy playing with that. What are you? Um, You know, and, and so the story of perfect is basically Juliet's story. So it, it starts um, at her birth and then at nine years old and then at 18 years old when Juliet suddenly is no longer perfect and Juliet needs to get away. Um, So anyway, it's a very, um, it's very genre mashing because I have thriller, sci-fi, horror, and a little dystopian mixed in there. Um, So it's really um, been fun for me. It's, whoa, you know, um, okay. It's just, there's so many things I, I like about it. So I'm going to stick to the program so I don't forget a question. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no excitement. Worries. Okay. So first, okay. The house, the yes. house, Billy and Juliet, I'm thinking of the setup and mm-hmm. my sister, Linda and I, I remember 
We lived in this small town called Lanceville on the island. I think population 3,000, okay? And uh, walking to school, there was this one house, which didn't look too great. And I remember my sister and I, we would, we, you know, we'd be talking away, you know, and then you'd come close to that house and then we'd stop talking and we would try to be ever so quiet because we didn't want what we called the crazy dog to come running, charging out at us, barking and scare the crap out of us. Okay, Right. So, so <laughs> you know, I'm reading this scene, Billy and his friends and that house. Yeah, I was wondering, was that inspired by any real incident in your life? Yes, um, I think that if you live in the suburbs anywhere or out in the sticks, there is always a house. There is always one house that all the kids tell stories about that's creepy that and it could be that it's just an abandoned house that got foreclosed on as grownups. We know that. But as kids, you know, all kinds of stories come up. And, and I love the idea of, you know, what's really in the cursed house. And, and uh, so when I realized that Juliet was going to be, they call them pods um, in this, this pod, the house is right in the suburbs, because what better place to hide than in plain sight. But it is an odd house. And at one point someone saw a girl up in the top window and um, you know, so all these stories about, you know, does she have a disease or what, you know? So anyway, I I was trying to tap into that, that kiddom because we do, I think everybody has had a cursed house in their neighborhood. (laughs) Everybody tells stories about that. You rush past. And then I remember the time when my sister Rose, who was quite a bit older than than me, we were walking and I grabbed a stick and she's looking at me and she's like, why did you grab a stick? And I said, because we got to walk past the house that has the crazy dog, you know, and she's, she yes. was a little fearful of dogs then. And she's just like, say what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a crazy dog, you know, because they always hey, see... <laughs> you know, like whether it was a horse or a dog, they always seem to like go, you know, for my, my poor sister Rose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now the other thing is the prologue. Okay. Like I'm reading it and, and this is all a compliment to your writing because that prologue, it was like downright uncomfortable to read. Very uncomfortable. Yes. You know? And <laughs> So our readers know there's nothing gory. There's nothing um, of someone being beaten. It's just, it's the scientist and his wife. And the doctor is giving them their baby. And the Mm -hmm. questions they start asking, you know. And I'm reading it and I'm just thinking, why aren't you taking your baby? Take a baby. What's wrong with you, right? Should you? And then the doctor is almost like, should I give her them the baby, you know? So... I'm thinking, how did you get the idea for this? Well, um, I actually got the idea for Perfect um, when my daughter was smaller. We were at the doctor's office and I had picked up a magazine in the waiting room. And this was probably because I I started writing Perfect while I was writing my first book because I got this idea, this germ of an idea, and I didn't want to forget it. So I started Perfect back then. But at the time, magazines were just starting to put out articles about this new program Photoshop and what was happening with ads and magazines where they were photoshopping all of the women to make them perfect and what that does to, you know, little girls who you know, have this unachievable image of what they're going to look like, you know. And um my thought about that, of course, because I do like scary-ish stories, the first thought that came to me was, what if you had to be perfect? And I couldn't, I couldn't let that go, that idea of, um, and it sort of ruined the word for me, and my husband, we do it too, every time we hear perfect, we're like, ooh. Um, because it kind of takes the word usually you think of perfect as something that you really want but after you read this book you might look at perfect as a scary horrible no one would want to be perfect how can you live like that um but uh the idea of what would you have to do 
to stay perfect if you had to. And so when I started writing the book, um, the prologue came to me first because I thought, well, it would have to start at birth. And, um, so I wanted it to be uncomfortable right away from page one. And so it started with the clicking of the doctor's shoes and the, you know, and instead of it being this joyous, here's your baby, it almost feels like you're handing your baby to the wolves, you know, and so, yeah. So anyway, that was definitely the vibe I was going for. Cause I wanted you to know right away that there's something creepy about being perfect when the parents say, Oh, she's perfect. Well, <laughs> so just their attitude. And I'm just like, I think, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, when yes. you start talking to the book. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh-huh. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, Billy, I love this kid. And then you see Billy as a child and then you see him as a man and there's something about him and on, you know, I don't know, it may be a different page for someone else, but um, like in my little Kindle here, if I could read this one paragraph, I just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, sure. Yeah. So, so Billy's in school and uh, you know, it starts with the bell rang and silence fell over the class when Mr. Hart stood up from his desk. He was tall, basketball player tall. His light brown hair and brown eyes made him look pretty normal at first, but Billy had heard the stories about him. Mr. Hart was tough as nails and more than likely an alien from outer space, sent down to torture fifth grade humans with too much homework and scientists that even Einstein couldn't pass. Billy sighed. If only he could blame this on his overactive imagination. Like, it's just, I'm in this kid's head. And, <laughs> you know, like, it's not like he's discovered, you know, some sort of important, you know, scientific experiment. He's, he's a kid. He's like a real kid. Like, he's like a real kid. Yes. You know? <laughs> and yes. I, there's so much of him as a child that I really liked. And I have to also say kudos to the, your book designer, because when I came to that first scene break, which is that double helix, uh-huh. I loved it, you know, <laughs> and I thought, what a great idea, you know, and it's just, it's, you know, I know of it because of having worked for, he was a prosecutor who did all the the murders with which required DNA. And mm-hmm. when I saw that, I thought, that is a good God. I said it perfect. Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to say that word. And not I know. I know. Okay. My, my beta readers on the book had told me at one point, you ruined the word for me. Every time I say it, I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So calm down, Joe. So, okay. Now you have Juliet's mom. And uh, I was wondering how you came up with her because, and again, this is a compliment because Juliet's mom, she's almost like robotic, so Mm -hmm. mission driven, and there's a goal and you don't stray from that goal. And uh, Juliet and Juliet 8 are to like fall into line. So how like you sound so pleasant so how did you come up with this <laughs> nasty nasty woman <laughs> well um i knew that if these scientists were doing this under the radar they would need surrogates and things and in the beginning of it they wouldn't have any so she's donating herself to have a baby eventually like I think you find out later in the book that Julie 8 is born from a surrogate so Julie Juliet's mom is no longer having these babies but if in my head it was like can you imagine if you had to give birth to these babies knowing that it may not be a viable specimen because they're just scientists. And so they need this perfect baby. So she spends nine months of being pregnant, not being attached to this thing. This is just a science project. This is not, 
you know, because she, she really, and it's mentioned somewhere in his science journal or, or he wrote a card to her or something about how she has done such a great job keeping her, her professional distance from, and he knew that her job was harder than everyone else's because she's raising them. And so in my head, she had to be that way. I mean, how could you you know, keep reminding yourself that these are not your children. These are your science projects. And if the time comes, they will need to be destroyed. Um, you know, so, so she is very regimented in my head. She was very Kathy Bates, you know, just getting it done. And, and, um, so yeah, so she, I, I tried to make it so that it's clear, you know, I like, I love writing villains. I love writing bad guys, but I like them to be able to be the hero of their own story. So I have to know how they would see what they're doing is not bad. And so from her side of the fence, she's doing what she has to, to help every other parent ever on the planet. So she doesn't see it as bad. You know, she has a mission. And if she completes her mission, she could change the world. You know, so, yeah. So she was an interesting character. (laughs) All right. So we go from Juliet's mom, who's not so nice. But then let's just get back to Billy, you know, who then becomes Bill. And I was wondering... He is so cool. You know, it was nice to read when he was Billy as a child. It was nice to read him just being a child, like being a kid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how did, who was, was there someone in inspiration for him? Um, Well, the big inspiration um, was probably Stephen King, actually, because I, I love Stephen King and I loved Um, Hearts in Atlantis, you know, that book where it went from children to adults, and you really got to see who they became. Um, I loved that. And I wanted to write a story like that. And so when the idea came to me, I had written the beginning of the book. And so I knew that if Juliet was going to escape, she wouldn't know how to use anything because she's been trapped in that house. And she also, if she went to an adult, they would give her back. So I knew that there would have to be other kids, but I, I couldn't figure out how would she connect with them. So she had to have met one. So that was why I had to have the section when they're kids so that that one night she could meet Billy. And so when I did that, I realized, okay, so there's going to be these three musketeers. And so I gave each one of them a different personality. One's the jock, one's the geek, and one is the writer, um, the imaginative one. And that's Billy. And so he probably got to be the main guy because I related to him the most, (laughs) you know, the daydreamer, the one who watches everything and dreams up how it could have turned out. And that's really who Billy is. And that's part of what attracted him to helping her and he mentions it at one point in the book that I've always been the watcher I've never been the doer and and I'm gonna do this I'm gonna help you we're gonna you know figure this out and and I I loved that because as a writer I feel the same way Um, I'm always you know writing about it watching it doing it is a really cool thing and so it was fun to um give Bill that opportunity to grow. Well, and it's also neat, like the, you said, the three musketeers, their friendship. Cause I, I think of, gosh, my husband's friends, um, guys I know who were friends and they weren't all the same. You know, there was one right. who was the geek. There was one who was the jock. Right. And mm-hmm. then you, you, you have, whether he's a writer, I don't want to say the normal one, but you have the one who's just, you know, average. Who's somewhere in between. Yeah. 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 So I'm thinking of heroines and I believe that when we write, whether it's our heroines, our heroes, I think there's a a little bit of a, 
I think there's a little bit of an author's uh, nuance or trait goes into each character. Okay. So, you know, characters reveal things to us, but I also think we, we influence them a bit too. So thinking about all your novels, I was wondering if Juliet is more like you than any of your other heroines. Um, I actually felt like there was more of me and Billy than Juliet. Um, Juliet really, every time that I, um, write a heroine who has everything is bad and yet they can still find good. Um, I always connect that with my mom actually. Um, now I'm going to get all emotional. Um, but my mom had, uh, cancer twice when I was a kid and this was back in the eighties when cancer treatment killed you. Um, you know, she was so sick and she was only 30 the first time. And my mom never smoked my mom, you know, it was, it was so unfair. And yet my mom was the most positive person you would ever meet. And, and, um, and then, uh, in 2019, well, actually it was before 20, 2017, I think, um, she found out that now she had lung cancer and that it was already stage four by the time they found it because they wouldn't do a chest x-ray because she never smoked. Um, so anyway, it was, it was horrible. And yet (laughs) my mom would, she had already retired and they had opened a new business up outside of Yosemite in California. And it was beautiful and everything she ever wanted, you know, and she was a watercolor painter. And so she had her own studio. I mean, it was everything she could ever want. And then she finds out you have stage four lung cancer. It was just, it was enough to make anybody just, you know, flip off the universe and curl up and die. But my mom, there was something about my mom that she could find joy anyway. And my mom was always her own party. And so she would fly down to UCSD in San Diego and I would pick her up and we'd go to cancer treatments all day. And then I'd put her back on an airplane and she'd fly back home. And one time while she's sitting in there getting all this chemo and we've seen a million doctors and she did a scan and we're driving back to the airport. And my mom says, you know, at least with the cancer, I get to see you more often. And I thought, geez. So anytime that I have a heroine where everything is against them and yet they can find good things. I always think of my mom. I'm, I feel like there's a little bit of her in Juliet because only my mother could look at all of this horrible stuff and go, I want to learn a sport. Yeah. Let's go bowling. You know, I mean, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like Juliet had a lot of my mom's characteristics and and it's funny because sometimes a heroine where everything is against them can become a victim but i feel like because her attitude was you know wow my first kiss wow my first sunset you know and and i might die tomorrow but i at least i got these things you know and all of that i really feel like it's you know a little, little dash of, of my mom in there, because when you're writing, um, women who are in peril, it, it, I, I like for them to be strong, even if they don't know how, you know, Julia didn't know how to do anything, but I felt like she was never weak. Yeah. She was never weak. She was never beaten, even though she was scrambling to catch up, you know? And you, you get that in the book. You know, like, I'm just thinking of some of the scenes where, like, one of my favorite scenes was with her and Billy when they were a kid and mm-hmm. they were children. And she just about gets, like, they're, they're, there's just about that first kiss. You yes. Know? And she's even thinking that she may get in serious, serious trouble. But, and that, that was, that was such a sweet scene with Billy and her. You know, when he was, yes. little, you know, so 
Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. So you see your see a bit of more of yourself in Billy. I, I, I can mm -hmm. see that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All of his, um, when they're kids, all of his, you know, games with his friends were all games we used to play, you know, who's going to tell the scariest story to scare everyone. And I always knew it would be me. Um, <laughs> so, so, but yeah, so I felt like there was a lot of me in, in Billy. Um, and also that devotion and loyalty to your friends. That was you know, there was a lot of me in there that you do this, even though he did not want to climb the fence and go in the Huff's yard. He knew he had to. So he did. Um, you know, so that kind of stuff I felt like was little bits of me. And then he trips and sees the mounds on the ground. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, it's creepy over there at the Huff's house. You? Okay. <laughs> so in our last podcast, we had this great discussion about one of your books, the pirate ship scene and tarot mm -hmm. cards, because you read tarot cards. Yes. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm on page like 160 on my, my Kindle. So I don't know what that is in a real book. I'm actually going to get a real book. A book, book. Okay. <laughs> and um, so were there any scenes that you used tarot cards knowing this about you I, I, I was curious I thought I wonder if she used well I saw um the the question and I thought shoot I wrote most of that book so long ago that I can't remember okay and but I wanted to bring up because I think it's important but um I've written so many books and about halfway through after book 20 <laughs> I thought you know I should be writing down. So I have this little journal that I call writing magic that I, I write down the amazing things that happen for each book so that I don't forget because you forget and you don't think you will, but you do, I promise. And so you forget, I know there were magical moments writing perfect, but I can't, I can't remember because I wasn't writing them down then, um, you know, where you, and when I went back to edit this book, it had been so long that as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, oh, that's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what's she going to do? Um, that's great. I remember. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I know I did, but I, I can't, I can't remember. And that was before I was writing things down in my writing magic journal, but I highly recommend that for all the writers who might be listening, just because when you, it, it, some books are easy and some books are hard and I don't know why that is, but it's true. And it doesn't mean that the books that were hard to write are worse. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're even better, yeah. but I feel like if you can write down magical moments of books while you're writing, when you're in a hard book, you can flip back through those magic moments and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. And it kind of opens you up for, you know, having a magic moment in the hard book. So so I do keep track now, but, but perfect was, was before my writing journal. So I don't know. That's <laughs> Can't remember. That's good advice. That's really good advice. So, okay. I'm just thinking I need to take a photo of my big rock outside my boulder. Yes. <laughs> right. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yes. Which has been the inspiration for this, this, this fantasy. Okay. So did you have to think twice about certain scenes and what Juliet knows how to do given her home situation. Cause you, you just, it hit me because when they, this is a bit of a spoiler. I'm not going to say how, where, but when they run to Bill's pickup mm -hmm. and they don't touch the door handles, you know, and then, you know, Bill goes and opens the door. Right. And right. And, and then the the Dr. Pepper scene where <laughs> given a Dr. Just Pepper. Holding the can. <laughs> she, she never opens it. She doesn't Right. You know? And so I I thought, yeah. Did you have like did you think like have to think twice at times about what she would be what she and Juliet Juliet ate, like Julie ate, what they would could do, would do, or 
Right. Yeah, I did. Um, constantly. I had to think about that constantly in the book because there was so much that they had never experienced, never done. Um, and so things like the door handle, they'd never been in a car, so they didn't know how to open it. They didn't even know that was the handle. Um, so, you know, they, they wouldn't have known. And same thing with the Dr. Pepper can, you know, She's never had soda because they can't risk a cavity. So she's never opened a soda can, you know, so all of these experiences are all first experiences for her, even though she's 18 years old, you know? And so, yeah, I had a lot of that and the things with, you know, learning to use a cell phone when you've never had, never. And I so got to that soon yet. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, all of these first experiences for her was constantly at the forefront of my head while I was writing it. Same thing with Julie eight, you know, things playing a video game, you know, all of these things that you take for granted, um, they've never done. Um, they hadn't even watched TV ever because the risk to their eyesight. So they, they could read, they were allowed to read books and, and, um, when I was writing the book, I wasn't sure about education. Would they know how to read? But then I realized, well, they're going to want to do cognitive tests on these kids to be sure that they're, you know, going to be intelligent. So they would have to at least homeschool them to read and do math and all that kind of stuff. So I figured, okay, so she'll know how to write and read and, and all, but, but no interaction with a TV, a phone, a computer, nothing. So, um, yeah, so I was constantly thinking about, would this be a first experience? Yes. Um, <laughs> would they know how to use this? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> so. cool. Well, that, it was really, it, but you did it in a way with Billy that made it funny, you know, that made, yes. it, made it very cute, you know. So, and just his attitude is like, oh, so I guess you've never had a Dr. Pepper. And I could see him reach for it and, you know. Open it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, what I also like, and this made perfect sense. There's that word. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh -huh. <laughs> Is when they're out, okay, they're out of the house. And Juliet Eight's reaction to feeling physical pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is so much different from Juliet, the adult, you know, yes. and like Juliet, the adult is like, she feels pain, but then she's like realizing, Hey, I'm experiencing, right? Yeah. I'm alive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then little Juliet eight, you know, she's been sheltered and, you know, she feels pain. She feels soreness. And then she decides she doesn't want to be normal. Right. She would you rather know, be perfect. <laughs> but, bam. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So, like, mm -hmm. I, I was just, how did you come up with that? You know, like, you um, tell I don't write about children a lot. Right. That makes so much sense. Um, well, this is... Let's see. I've written books before where there's single parents or where there's little kids. Um, but this was the first time that I was like in little kid skin writing a book. Um, and I wanted the experience of being out and being normal to be seen through, you know, a nine-year-old's eyes and an 18-year-old's eyes. And the nine-year-old hadn't had as much experience with the bad side of being perfect. She had not been locked in the closet. She had not, you know, had any of these other things where Juliet knows that this is freedom and she sees the pain as a new experience she never would have had. Whereas the eight-year-old's just like, ouch, I want to go be perfect again. Yeah. Be normal sex. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I wanted to definitely highlight the different ages and how they might react to, you know, scrapes and cuts and bruises. And, and, you know, one is more, the older one is more of a warrior. I earned this. Yeah. Whereas the younger one is like, I hate this. I want to, <laughs> I want to go back where I, nothing hurts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely a choice. I wanted them to be 
even though, and the other reason is because they're clones. And so I, I'm dabbling in the Genesis trilogy. I'm really dabbling in, do you each have a different soul? Do you each, you know, or are you the same all the way down to your DNA, you know? And so I'm, I'm playing with that and, you know, how they might be different. That's wild. (laughs) Whoa, I didn't. Oh, wow. Do you have this like a different soul? Oh, right, right. Do you have a different soul? Or is it the same? Yeah, I I don't know. And yeah, so there was a lot of playing with that that I wanted to, you know, dig into to see, you know, how different are they? Juliet notices before she knows that they're clones when she thinks they're sisters. She does notice that her sister has her exact same voice and her exact same laugh. And she but she thinks all sisters must be like that um but i wanted it to go a little deeper to you know your personality and i feel like julie eight definitely has a different personality than juliet yeah oh that's so cool that's so cool because i'm (laughs) I'm thinking of bill when he first comes across them like he's yes it he takes a 360 because he's looking at little juliet eight he's yes and it's just like, whoa. It's the same girl that he yeah. met when he was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, wow. But this is cool. Okay. Okay. So you've, you've kind of mentioned about, you know, I think you said this is the first in a series. Is this? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's a trilogy. Um, so the second book is called Flawed and it is already up for pre-order and it'll be out later this year. And then the plan is for the final book, Tainted, to be out in January. And we will see how that goes. Um, <laughs> but so far, it'll be out in January. The final book is Tainted. And that one will be Twins. Than there shouldn't have been. So that'll be really fun. Well, we won't have technical issues next time. So I hope you come back on because we got <laughs> we got to finish this through. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So a favorite question. Um, you meet Juliet. Now I'm thinking. Oh, I'm thinking. Would Juliet be in a donut shop? Huh. I'm gonna leave this. I'm going to let you decide here thinking (laughs) now that we have this discussion okay because here's my little idiosyncrasy i do love i love donuts i really do okay i love donuts too it's you know really who doesn't love a donut Yeah, yeah but i will eat a donut and ever since a child okay say eight years old um i'll eat a donut and my husband laughs and he sees me now but i hate sticky fingers so I'll eat the donut <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, I kind of like, he'll see me. And even like eating chicken wings, I'll only mm-hmm. use one hand because I want to keep this hand clean. <laughs> you know? And then I'm done. And it's like, mm, okay. Like I've got to wash this to hand. Wash hand. Uh-huh. So now, oh God, my head's going for a number here. Um, if, if Julia, you, you tell me, if Juliet is in a donut shop, what would she say to you? Uh, well, now that she's normal, yeah. she would probably be in a donut shop. Okay. Um, but I think that she would say that um, she will never get tired of the smell of sugar um, oh, because they didn't get to have, you know, in the book, it mentions that they got um, if they were really good, they got a one square of Hershey's chocolate once a week. Yeah. That was it because they couldn't risk cavities or, or anything or a cold sore or yeah. anything. So sugar really never happened. And they didn't get that smell of it yeah. um, because, you know, nobody's baking cookies at the Huff House. Um, so anyway, I would say that that moment when you walk in a donut shop and you get that big whiff of sugar, I would think for Juliet, that would be, she, she would tell you that everyone takes that for granted. Yeah. And it was so sad. The birthday cake scene too. Mm-hmm. You know, like Just a tiny piece and they throw the rest away. Okay. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, 
Lisa, this has been fantastic. Um, where can people find you and more about your books? Um, so perfect is available everywhere. So anywhere you'd like to get your eBooks and it is out in paperback now on Amazon and, um, insider news, you'll probably be able to get it in audiobook soon too. So oh. I will have more information about that very soon, but, um, but that's exciting. Um, so I would love to hear it in audio. So we'll see, but it's very close. Um, so it will probably be an audio very soon. And um, you can find me. I, I'm, I am Lisa Kessler. LA Kessler is Lisa Kessler. So it's no secret. Um, so you can find me at authorlisakessler.com and I'm on all the social medias, even TikTok. Um, so perfect is on TikTok as well. Um, <laughs> so, so you can find me anywhere. And I, and I'm always happy to hear from reader i'm happy to hear from anyone so you can reach out anytime i promise i'm friendly i know the books are scary but the lady is nice <laughs> oh well lisa thank you so much thank you and i would yeah I thanks would. for having me back this was fun it, it would be neat I, i'm doing um like a trilogy podcast with a um, author who writes children's books so it would be really neat to to do oh yeah i'd be happy you. to come back flawed is gonna have a boy ethan 10 Ooh. um so so and a pot and a true crime podcaster woman who's digging into what happened in moonlight cove all those years ago and um and another secret agent from the government so anyway it'll be it'll be really fun good good okay lisa well i'll let you go thank okay you. thanks so much for having me okay. it was good to see you yeah okay. <laughs> bye 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 bye